We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed. Blender HD, if you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's a Wednesday, November 16th. It's two days after we just found out DraftKings has changed their MMA product, now there's late swap, right? You enjoyed it so much in NBA DFS, right? Especially when the start <laughs> times are staggered every 15 or 30 minutes. Well, now you get that same experience on Saturday nights from 6 or 4 to midnight. So, in, so instead of going out and having a good time, and instead of sitting down with the beer, maybe your buddies and watching the fights, you're going to be sitting by your computer. So every 20 minutes, you could late swap your lineups to extract extra expected value in your contest. And when I heard about this change, uh, I thought there was one person that was going to clean up in the lobby now. And that's Daniel Hutchings, nerdy tenor, the nerdiest of all tenors. Daniel, are you ready? to grind your ass off on Saturday nights and run your simulations every 20 minutes uh, in order to, uh, to to take down the most amount of money in these MMA contests? Yeah, no, not really. Um, I, you know, I really have mixed feelings about this. 
on a pure game level, I find it really interesting because you've added a whole new dimension to the game that is MMA DFS, which is really interesting. Uh, lots more strategic decisions. Uh, it completely ratchets up the percentage of your EV that comes from game theory and applying game theory to your process. So it's even more heavily on that. Um, well, can, we first, so can we first talk about <laughs> why that is? Because I think well, sure, obviously yeah. if you're listening to this show, if you're watching the show, I don't think I have to explain it that much to you that late swap in general, regardless of the sport, means that you get you have more information to make choices. Like the fact that like in NBA, you could go, Oh, is is Jokic gonna play? Is questionable in the late game for the Nuggets, or is Steph Curry, the Warriors gonna play? Well, you get to now make a decision when the news comes out two hours later and then change your lineups accordingly, as opposed to it just being locked at seven. And you just have to make a guess. You go, well, I'm going to act as if Steph is in, or I'm going to act as if Jokic is out. And then if I'm wrong, then my lineups aren't as good as they should have been. And if they're not, but understand that casual players primarily don't late swap and don't make those decisions unless a player in their lineup is injured of like, okay, right. I have Jokic in. And now he's out. Now I'm going to play whatever other centers available. DeAndre Ayton at that point. They view it as that. They remember right. the times they get a zero. But they don't realize that because you can make further decisions, same thing with 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock Eastern start times for NFL, that the more decisions that are put in front of you, the more ripe it is for skillful players to, to make money. The more betting rounds there are in poker, the more, the more varying, the more... You actually want more variance if you're a casual player, but this actually lessens the variance because you could swap out. But, Daniel, I've heard arguments. Obviously, it's typical of the bad players. This is what makes it – the change is being applauded by the people that it affects negatively the most, right? And yeah. it's one of those weird things where they're like, well, well, now, now I don't have to worry about getting a zero and – uh what do I care? How how does late swap affect me that much? I mean, I'm just going to try to pick six of the best winners anyway. Like, why would I ever swap off to someone that I don't think is going to win? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to see when, why this could happen in practice. Because, you know, you imagine that um, you, you have a pretty chalky fighter and you have, you're sort of even with the field on it. And he was 70% to win and he busts. Right. So all of your lineups that have that player in a big GPP have no shot at first. Right. But if you were building well, presumably a lot of your decision making was aimed at winning first. Right. Well, now that's all out the window. Right. Your lineup has zero shot at first. But whereas before this was not interesting, now it's almost like you're playing a different game because maybe you only have a shot at 50th place. But but your lineup has some pretty um, off-the-wall plays on it in an attempt to get first that now do not make any sense because <laughs> you're not getting first. Your equity is much further down the payout table. So it's almost like the the field has been split in two and you're playing two different games in a big GPP. And if, if you're not considering these kinds of factors, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. The analogy with NBA is not perfect because NBA, you know, uh, 
basketball players being out is routine. It's every night. And frequently it opens up huge value because the minutes of one player go to somebody else. So a player that was quite marginal can become almost mandatory because they're just, you know, 7x, 8x value per dollar. In MMA, it's closer to NFL's late swap, where if you get, if you're in a contest and after the morning games finish, uh, you discover discover that your lineup is just crushing the field in the contest that you're in, it frequently makes sense to swap the rest of your lineup to chalk your pieces to block people from catching you who have those pieces. It's much more analogous to that, but it's much, much worse in the sense that in NBA or NFL, you know, not counting injuries, if you're making swaps, um, you can get EV making swaps based on what's happened already, right? Just forgetting about the injury part. So you have more information, you know what all the lineups are, and you know what players have done. But there's usually so many choices in NBA and NFL that if you don't do that, it's probably not a gigantic mistake. Um, but in MMA, it is a giant mistake because there's so few options on any given slate that every outcome matters hugely. I mean, just think of the number of outcomes on a full slate NFL. Like one wide receiver goes off. Like how much information does that give you really if it's like a 3% owned player? Well, in MMA, every fight is significant. And so every fight result, I would suspect, is going to result in significant strategy changes if you're that you should be making and so it yeah go ahead well you meant you mentioned the the one that that people don't take care of the most which is that min cash oh right i got a zero right like the guy gets knocked out first fight of the night you no matter what their ownership is you have a lineup it doesn't matter if you're playing large field small field at this point we'll, we'll discuss the differences between that and your fighter just gets knocked out quick win bonus the other guy, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Most people look at that and go, well, uh, I got no shot to win, so who cares, right? 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 They don't even bother making those swaps because they're a recreational player. They don't play for big money. It's like, what's the big difference if if I take my $5 entry and make it $7.50 or it's $0? So yeah. they're, not, they're not playing that game. They're just, well, maybe I swap to a lower-owned fighter. They're just trying to get as high up as they possibly can so they even they add even more variance to it. Guys like me and you that play more regularly, or whatever, know that there's value in just rescue. If you could rescue five percent of your lineups, yeah. like that sustains you over the course of playing so much volume over the course of the year. But yeah. most people will think of the opposite scenario of first fight. Like, I'm just using the first fight of the night to make it sequentially easy to people for to understand. Let's say you have the 9K fighter with the quick win bonus, right? Now you're sitting there with 125 points and you're going, well, I have the 16% owned 9, 9K fighter because other 9K fighters were probably more owned. Now what do I do? Like right. now it's like, okay, well, that underdog that I faded because I didn't want to play the 32%, you know, $7,700 guy, you may go, well, I have all the leverage that I have in my 16% on quick win bonus. Maybe I switch to the $7,700 guy. And now I say the word maybe. And I think this is key because some people have asked, does this 
that the, the, the sequential stuff, especially if you if you if you listen to the theory of DFS.com, uh my my first course, like people mistake sequential games all the time, thinking that like, oh, what happens early in the night matters more. Because a lot of people have asked me, and I've seen in other discords, oh, this prioritizes early fighters because if you get it, if early underdogs, if they win, it now gives you that information to now rebuild your lineups. It's like, no, no. think of if there was a 10-fight card, right, just to make the math equal, right? After one fight, you have 10% of the information, right? You only have... If you looked at everyone's lineups, you'd only see one or two fighters in the lineup. Obviously, the people that stacked the first fight are the people paying the rake primarily. Uh, yeah. But you'll see only that. You won't know what's in the rest of anyone else's lineups, how much salary was left on the table in some of these lineups. You, you don't know any of that. You do know one fighter's, two fighters' scores, and then that's it. After the ninth fight, you have 90% of the information. Of course, Correct. you only have one spot to maneuver with that information, but think on that scale of you actually have more information later, like six fights in, you have 60% of the information, 70% of the information. When you get to the 90% 90th thing, we'll see situations. I mean, it's very easy to see where it's the, it's the last fight of the night, typically the main event, and you'll take a look at your best lineup that has five wins in it going, can I win first? What's the highest I could win? Because I take a look and I say, okay, I have the main event favorite 9,300 in this. And I'm 127 points from first place. I go, okay, if she scores 127, I'm good. But I see someone above me is five points higher with the same, same fighter, right? Yep. So obviously I'm blocked. So if I were to change to now the underdog, I've a much better shot at first place now because I'm the highest person. I'm the second highest person with a lineup slot available. And the first person is blocking me. Now I can choose to still play the main event. Fan and I have better second place equity now, but I have no first place equity. And then you have to check the people behind you and That's go, fair. are there people behind you that either share your same player or have the main event underdog? And then you have to make that calculation of, is it better for me to aim, even though it's a much lower probability of me getting first, is it worth it to do that? Or is it such a low probability that it's better to almost have uh, a stranglehold on second place? That would That's what you normally should be doing. Yes. That calculation but, in your head. But it's even is, more critical for now than ever is the thing, like, I feel like in, it's interesting because in the very largest of GPPs, I feel like there's so many lineups that it, it's it, it might actually not matter as much there because there's there's probably a good mixture of people swapping and not swapping, like in a well, huge well, NFL. A, Daniel, I, ju I just want to hold on. Yeah. That to oh. get to the point that we're, we're, we're talking about now is that in the past, right? I want to make it simple for the people that may not understand the dynamics like this that in the past, you wouldn't be able to swap. Like get, someone would block you in front, would be in front of you blocking you, or you'd be blocking someone else. And there's nothing you could do. You're just sitting there going, well, the best I could do is come in fifth place, right? Because there's four people with the, my same lineup above me, right? Most likely they have the, the, that have enough 
salary available for that fighter. Now, right. maybe one of them actually left money on the table and maybe, but that was all done pre-lock. They didn't do it. It's not based on the information we currently have. It's based on before the fights even started for the entire day. Now you have that information. So what's going to end up happening is in large field that you'll see there'll be a train of six people with the same lineup with the main, with the main event favorite. There'll be eight people with another train with the main event underdog, like the, where the underdog needs to, to win and score 72 or the main event favorite needs to win and score 89. And all those people could, could win first and split it. Yeah. Now in the past, like nothing would change, but now you have to figure in maybe some of those people swap. Yep. Right. And I think, yeah, I mean, it completely, it makes it impossible to, to, to analyze what people are up to too. You can't even tell what the lineup started as. Cause I think, I mean, what you're describing is very complicated problem. Like in a huge GPP, I feel like, uh, the, the difference between the best and the worst players is going to grow enormously because the advantage to having automated tools and, and figuring this stuff out with computers, I mean, it's like perfectly suited to my style of play, right? Um, well, that's why I the, thought about it. That's why I said. The, I think people like me are going to have doing that every every twelve minutes yeah. or whatever. During but the, I like, think um, I think ultimately I'm going to play pretty rarely. I mean, what's the typical difference between the first fight time and the last fight time? Like many many hours, right? Yeah, uh, typ I mean, typ yeah, it's, typically it's like, like seven this hours. We'll start. We'll start at six o'clock Eastern and not yeah. finish until midnight. Yeah, or or worse. Um, so the I mean, views it's even more. I mean, I hardly ever sweat, so it's because I'm a weirdo. So I, I usually I only have to worry about the start time, and now I I can't do that anymore. So I I I don't think I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be a big part of my play. I mean, I really like even though I'm doing this for most of my work time is fantasy stuff. I'm, I'm pretty much an opportunistic player where like, I'll look at my schedule. I'm like, Oh, I can fit that slate in my schedule. I can't fit that slate in my schedule, you know, because of family or other commitments or music stuff. And I think probably most casual players are the same way. And anybody who is taking the time to realize, Hey, I actually need to be in front of my computer. Now I think a lot of those people, this is just going to suck the entertainment value out because it's really nice to have your lineup set and then you can just sweat the matches or not. You can watch the one that you have a lot of or not, but now you just, if you're really trying to beat this, you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to be working it all night. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's not going to be fun for me, but. Um, but people still don't understand. I, I want to get back to why you need to be working it and the contest in which you need to be doing so. Because yeah. I gave the example of a train of like, oh, there's six people with one lineup. I'm using this as the most extreme examples because you have to scale this to every part part of the contest. Oh, there's yeah. six fights through. You have a, a $7,100 fighter that just put up 123 points. Most likely that guy is optimal, right? So now, like you said, with the different games that you're playing, like if essentially you either have to build your lineups throughout the night 
from an EV perspective. You will be giving away expected value by not doing this. Okay. Yes. It doesn't mean you can't win. It doesn't mean you can't make money. Just understand that you will be giving away expected value to the people that are doing it in the long run. That let's say the first fight of the night is a $9,300 fighter wins, puts up 92 points. Most of the time, that's not optimal. Most of the time. But if that happens to be optimal, there is a, what, what is the construction if you if you have that fighter but left 800 on the table, dude, you have to make that a 50k lineup if you if you're aiming for first because most likely it has to that fighter has to be a top six fighter at that price. So either you're build you're rebuilding that lineup. So if for some odd reason the three percent of the time that that 92 is optimal, what does that type of lineup look like? Now, if you don't know, I could conceptualize what that looks like because i'm i do things more directionally than you daniel uh but most people aren't and imagine you have a hundred lineups yeah. so now good luck swapping that so i mean and then you also have the situations where you have the 7200 fighter that puts up 130 points four fights in there's a 90 there's a 9k fighter that put up 110 that's possibly optimal and you look and you go okay what 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 lineups do i have both of these guys in and you go well what is if that this is optimal like what are the ways that it that i have to make it so that it would like if you get like three let's say three big underdogs big enough underdogs win you get 123 out of a 7100 guy two fights later you got 115 out of a 7500 guy and then a 6900 underdog squeaks out a decision win for 76 points. Like most likely that 76 point fighter, even though that the cheapest may not make the optimal because there's, there's other two big under under underdogs that put up a hundred whatever points. But there is a case where if the $9,600 most expensive fighter puts up 130, that you may need the $6,900 guy and they actually make the optimal, even though they're the, they're, the ninth highest score or whatever those calculations, like what, what I'm going through right now as an example is something yeah. that you would either have to do in your head or be Daniel and, and build something that, that will tell you when those, those percentages are. And the reason why someone like Daniel Lerny tenor or people that simulate do run simulations, know how to code is that, you could do that in NBA. You could do that in NFL, but it's an absurd problem to solve because there's so many combinations. It would, it would be ridiculous in MMA. Like we have like what 20 to 30 options in total. Yeah. Like you're going to get and to plus, the point halfway through the card where there's only, there's only 10 fighters left. Right. And then you have all these lineups regardless of the contest size. And you could go, well, let me go through and see, and just predict what all these lineups will look like. And then let me run the simulations to predict if this lineup is optimal, what does it look like? If this fighter is optimal, what does this look like? If this fighter is optimal, what does the, the optimal lineup look like? And for large field GPPs, basically, I mean, would you would you call this um, pretty much to the point of it being a solved game? Close. I think, I think it's tricky because... In, in order to solve it exactly, 
you need to model all of the lineups at the beginning and then all of the different paths that you could take with swapping, I think that's intractable. However, I think you could get pretty close. And one of the things to keep in mind thinking about it now is that, so the earlier you are in the slate, the harder it is to compute what to do, right? Because you have you have both the least amount of information, that is the least number of fights have completed, and all of the people you're facing have the most number of options left to them. So modeling that is truly large. I might take a shot at it just for fun, but I think it's really hard to do with any kind of precision. As you move on though, when you when you get to the point where there's only one, two, maybe three fights left, you could imagine somebody just computing what all of the lineups every player could end up with are, and then simulating all of those and doing all sorts of clever things. So the the importance of late swap goes up as you go through the slate, right? Because each decision is more momentous because you have more information and fewer choices, right? It's also easier to compute. So when you're when you're literally down to the last fight, you could probably just figure this out on your own because there's three options. You have the lineups that are done that have all six fighters. The lineups that have four fighters, in which case you know they have both of the last two fighters, right? So those are effectively done as well. And then you have the lineups that have one spot left, and they, depending on how much salary they have left, they either can choose fighter A or fighter B or both, or either, depending, right? You can just enumerate all of those. You could do this in Excel, right, and compute, like, how many of my opponents have a shot at first um, or whatever cash line it is that you're looking at? And I think I think in terms of being directionally accurate, um, uh, that kind of decision-making will be mandatory toward the end of the fight. Like, it's going to be a big mistake not to look at that. Um, I mean, you can just imagine, I, but I, I kind of want to take it down to an even, to the opposite end of the spectrum, just because I think it's a, really simple example if people don't understand the value of late swap. Um, so let's talk about a head-to-head, -head, okay? So five of our six slots are both done. And we're on the last fight, and my opponent is beating me by one point, okay? And we both have enough salary to pick either of the last two fighters. So we're e each going to pick fighter A or fighter B. Um, if fighter A has a 70% 70 70 chance to win and fighter B has a 30% chance to win, let's just say our opponent picks fighter A. Well, by doing so, he can guarantee himself 70% equity because my best choice is to go for fighter B and hope for an upset. If I choose fighter A, we tie and I lose, right? So he's guaranteed to get 70 bucks if it's a $100 head-to-head. -head. Hundred dollar to first. If I don't late swap and I come in with my lineup and I have fighter A, and my opponent is using this strategy, my equity is zero dollars. Right? I am literally flushing thirty dollars down the toilet. <laughs> so it's critical to late swap in in such such a spot. Now it turns out your opponent can actually do better than $70 on average um, because 
if if you're facing someone and you know he's going to swap to the underdog, I can swap to the underdog and get $70, right? So the strategy is not stable. It's not an equilibrium because if either of us has our fixed, basically the person who's ahead is going to want to pick the same fighter and the person who's behind is going to want to pick a different fighter. Um, so it turns out there's a strategy you can employ in this spot that gets the guy ahead $79 on average, no matter what the opponent does. And the strategy is to, uh, to you know, get a spinner and, and put seven spots on the favorite and three spots on the underdog and play that fighter. And if you randomize in this way, then on average, no matter what my opponent does, I'm getting 79 bucks on average. And the reason for this is if my opponent picks the favorite, well, 75% of the time I have the favorite and he loses. 30% of the time he doesn't have the favorite, he has the underdog and he has 30% equity. So 30% times 70% is 0.21. So in that spot on average, he's getting 21 bucks and I'm getting 79. If he picks the underdog, it's exactly the same thing in reverse. 70% of the time, he does not dupe me, and he wins 30% of the time, which is, again, 70 times 30 is 21 bucks. And 30% of the time, I screwed him by swapping to the underdog. Um, so these kinds of, this just shows you how much money is at stake when you get to the end. Um, and it's a lot if you're not paying attention. So it's absolutely mandatory if you're in a head-to-head -head or even just a position that's equivalent to a head-to-head. -head. You can imagine a situation where you're in a 10-man and there's only two of you with any decent score. And it's a question of who's getting first and who's getting second. That's exactly the same spot, right? So you have to consider the probabilities and consider whether you want to, you know, always swap or never swap or do some kind of mixture based on what your opponent is up to. Like if you if you know that they always stay with the chalk, you can exploit that by always going to the underdog. But if they do mixy mixy, then you have to be a little careful. Or if they get really tricky and notice you're always swapping, they might punish you and swap themselves. So, um, so that's just an example, a really simple example of why you know late swap is just such a big deal from an EV perspective. I mean, the difference from $21 and $30 and $0 is just a huge ROI shift in a, you know, a head to head. So. And also, and also it makes so much more of a difference in a binary sport that is, yes. that is sequential like MMA. It's not like NBA late swap where, oh, you, you start out with games at seven Eastern and then it's like, oh, there's an eight o'clock, there's an eight o'clock game where, oh, it's maybe someone's out someone's in or whatever you just the information you have is like only half the game is gone in the seven o'clock games so you're like well even though they had a bad first rotation this guy could still end up with 50 points like you like they could make it back that you could see obviously if some guy gets injured in the early game that's a different story but like the amount of information you're getting even as the slate goes on like you can't tell who's going to be the best scorer who's not going to be the best scorer definitively while in mma it's like dude every 20 minutes every 20 minutes you're gonna like you're gonna you're gonna know 
And even if the scoring is a little bit behind, you're still going to, you, you'll be able to estimate. I mean, there, there, there are plenty of times where it's a three round fight goes to decision and we don't know what the final third round count of the score is before even the next fight starts. Right. But like, okay, they're sitting there with 68 with the round three icon. It's like, well, what happened in round three? Well, there was a takedown, some control time, some strikes. I'm going to guess another 18 points. Like, and just add that to that and then and then reconsider what my late swaps are. Now, there are going to be people that, like, like, with, uh, like you, if you were to do it, you wouldn't be able to wait for DraftKings to update the scores. It's like, you need that extra time because you may only have a matter of minutes to do all your computations and swap everything out. So you may decide yeah. to scrape from ESPN, right? And get here's, right. here's an estimated score just so you could run stuff while someone like me if or a normal person with that is estimating or not estimate or waiting is like, oh my God, the next fight's going to lock before this score is over. And then they don't swap. And it's like, no, I could tell if, you know, and it may matter, especially seven fights in, if this $7,800 fighter scores 86 or 78, right? Especially yeah. in that mid-range on how often that makes them optimal compared to other scores that have happened throughout the card. And if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to swap until I see the score. Like you, you, you've, you've now, you've now given, you've now given up some EV where once the score comes in after you estimated, it, it's like, oh yeah, I should have changed this out to that out. And by not doing so, you're you're giving up stuff. But I also want to highlight, Daniel, and you, you could explain why these effects, because here's another misnomer that that people that I've been saying, I've been seeing on Reddit or Twitter. I don't play the large field contests, so I don't know why it matters. <laughs> when in fact that it matters more in the smaller field stuff than it does the large actually. I think that if you were to play, if you were to play three entries into the 555, right? You know, like the, you know, a 400 man, 300 man, or whatever, or you play the the $200 triangle, 200 man, the 166 man contender, 100 man, like you'd more like that versus those entries. If you threw all those entries that you played in those contests, those five entries into the large field contest and just never swap those, the ones in the large field contest. Your, I don't think your equity on never late swapping those is as dramatic as if you decided in the smaller field to say, I'm never late swapping. Like you almost, you would rather be more cognizant in your small field entries, but people view it as, well, all these people running simulations are, I have 150 lineups and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, dude, you should be doing it either. Technically, you should be doing it even if you only have one lineup in a single entry contest. Can you explain, instead of me doing so, explain why when you play single entry three max, it actually matters more? Yeah. So just imagine, you know, I guess the, the main MMA contest on DraftKings is typically $15 and, you know, what, 20,000 entries or so, 20, 30,000 entries. Um, the diversity of lineups is going to be much higher the bigger the contest simply because there are so many entries in it and so 
if you're in a small contest, let's say you're in a 10 man, right? And if you, the chance that you get into a situation where you can make dramatic plus EV moves is much higher because the number of opponents is smaller. So you can get a situation where half the field is basically dead to win any money. And because of this, um, it's really critical for you to change your strategy because instead of playing a 10 man now, you're playing a five man. It's like you've gotten rid of half the field, right? It takes longer to get to that kind of a point in a big GPP. So like the percentage shift is gonna be greater the smaller the number of people. So, and the, um, the number of people you need to beat is gonna be much smaller. So you should, it's also should be much easier to compute. Like you should be able to eyeball it. You can imagine a spot where there's a 10 man, um, two relatively chalky fighters have busted and half the field has one or both of them and you have neither. And now you can improve your EV dramatically by swapping onto things that such that it's unlikely people will catch you. Um, that's much harder to do in a big GPP when you have so many others to beat you. The path to first is much easier in a small GPP. So it's almost like each step you take to getting first is much larger in a smaller contest. You know what I well, mean? Well, I, I, I want to use the, the difference of your goal in a large field GPP versus your goal in a small field GPP is actually different. They go, well, you're still playing for first. Yes, I'm playing for first, but first is means different in those contests. When right. you're playing the 30,000 entry large field GPP, you are essentially trying to find the optimal lineup. Like right. most, most slates, the optimal lineup, the best highest possible scoring lineup is more likely than not going to be the winning GPP lineup. So yep. in this situation where you have a, a mid-range fighter that puts up 80 points and it's like most likely not optimal, like in the large field, you'd be correct. But in the 555, you may win 50K with that fighter in your lineup and just having six winners. I I came I came in like like 14th place or something, 10th place in the 555 like two or three weeks ago. And I only I had two losers in my lineup. It was yeah. a, a slate with a lot of stuff going on. Like there are gonna be slates where the winning score of the smaller field stuff is gonna be dramatically lower. That had I had late swap available to me then, and I saw that this this dynamic we always talk in GPP about, well, you want six winners and the highest scoring that possible, so don't stack a fight. Now with late swap, if I see that my the, the better way to get equity is to go, well, I think I'm I think I could get first in the small field contest by just because so many other people have busted. I'm just going to now stack the main event yeah. to block everyone. Instead of taking the risk on the 9K fighter putting up enough points as it is. And then right. secondly, if I'm not near first place, I may choose to do that just to lock up min cash equity 
Yet right. pre-lock, you would never build those lineups. You would never because right. you're, you're playing for first place. And it's like in a large field GPP, either in a small field GPP, you're, you're still probably looking for six wins. But if we now know we've had it, we had a slate two weeks ago where only like one dog won and like Candelario at 35 points as the slate went on was more likely to actually be in the optimal lineup. A lot of people, if you didn't compute that, they would look at that lineup and go, it's a dead lineup. Let me play for min cash equity. The smarter people would have gone, let me play for that being in the optimal lineup and improve my chances of actually possibly winning first. But without knowing those dynamics, you can't make those swaps. And in the small field stuff with that Candelario, it would yeah. be, it would be that you would actually, if you didn't realize that he could be in the winning lineup without even being optimal, like without being the large field optimal, you would have said, oh, because that was like the second fight of the night on that card. You would have started swapping off and saying, well, I got to take this guy out, that guy out. And then you, by the end of it, you would have been like, oh my God, I swapped off like what could have been the winning lineup because I overreacted yeah. to that information. And, and so it's like this is the game that you'd be playing more so in smaller field stuff only because you you don't you don't need the best you don't you just need the best lineup of 300 not right. the best possible lineup. Yeah, and I think for large field so to your point about pretty much needing the optimal lineup and and relatively more of the equity is up first in a large field than a small field obviously as a percentage and obviously as a multiplier of entry fee, because you need to get to the optimal lineup. I imagine that on a per lineup basis, um, on average, uh, not late swapping will matter quite a bit less because you're still just trying to get to the optimal. And a lot of the equity is gonna be about min cash, about saving lineups like you were talking about before. like that's going to be a far more frequent occurrence where you have, you're in the big GPP, um, you've, you've missed on a key chalk fighter, you have no first shot, first place equity, or even 100th place equity. And now you're just trying to, to make the cash line, which changes everything. Like that's going to be a vastly more common occurrence um, than making swaps that have to do with winning first, right? Um, but in the 10 man example, like every move you make is far more likely to change your payout. Like if you pass one player in a 10 man, there's a very good chance that changes your payout. If you well, do, if you pass you know, one man, Daniel passing one in a 10 man, like put it, put it in relation to a 30, 30,000 person contest, right. passing one man. One person in a 10 man is like passing 3,000 people in the 30,000 contest. And like, that's right. Those payouts don't like going from, from, from third to second in your 10 man, even if it's like 50 bucks to first, $30 to second, and, and $20 to third, and it's a $10 contest, right? Like yeah. a nice flat, whatever. Like going from fourth to third is the min cash, and going from third that's to right. second increases your 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 payout by 50 percent 50 percent yeah uh, but in that, a in a in a large field contest it's like that represents three thousand lineups like most likely you're not going to be moving 
3,000 spots at once that as often as you would be in a, in a 10-man contest. Exactly, yeah. So I think it's going to be really interesting, the small the small field stuff, and I think if I ever do have a Saturday and time to develop what I want to develop, that's what I would try and play. I think that's – again, I have mixed feelings about this. I think it's really fun and interesting from a game perspective, but I just can't see myself playing much anymore just because I don't have the time to be around most Saturdays. Um, well, also, uh, another, another thing I want to highlight, because I'm just the, a lot of the myths of like, oh, this, like you hear people, it's like, like, like me and you are like, well, this sucks. It's like, because it gives better players an edge. And it's like, well, aren't you better players? Don't you want that edge? It's like, here, here are the downsides, though. One, you mentioned the time. Is the time yeah. worth doing, setting everything up, taking advantage of this, knowing that if you don't do it, someone else will be doing it and you'll be losing equity. Number two is that, uh, number two is that like the ecosystem, the more casual players that don't do it, the quicker they go broke. Very the yeah, ecos analogy. Ecosystem's tricky though. It's, it's hard to predict. It's, I, it's also good to remember that we're in a bit of a bubble. Like if you're like trying to win, that already puts you in the minority. And I could imagine there are a fair number of players for whom it's almost entirely an entertainment product. And the tilt they go on when their fight is canceled because somebody didn't make weight after lock is such an awful experience for that kind of player that they might actually be willing to give up quite a bit in EV not to experience that because they're just doing it for fun as it is. Um, but I do understand the idea that like, I mean, you don't want it to so favor the better players that yet the game dries up. I mean, I guess the question is like, it's, it's what you always talk about. Your EV is primarily determined by the number of weak players in your contest. And how will those ratios change? Like, the better players are going to get even more, even more better, -er, and the worst players are going to get worse. Um, and how does that? Yeah, play but I'm out? not even sure, Daniel. Depending on your play style, because another thing that I want to discuss when it comes to this is we know, especially in the large field stuff, but I mean even in the small field stuff. I mean, at, duplication is bad regardless. It's bad for you regardless, but it's more pronounced the more you get duplicated and the top, more top-heavy the payouts are. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. This is bad for people that build like on the basis of uniqueness. Now, personally, when I play large field, I don't, I don't optimize. I don't optimize and maximize my lineups for uniqueness, but still like under fives. Like I don't mind being duped two or three times, but what's going to happen here and the amount I, I said it and, and people thought the opposite. It's like, Oh, we're going to get a lot more solo winners. I go, no, we're actually getting much less solo winners. Now they go, well, how is that the case? Well, it's the case is because I could get to the same unique lineup that you made pre-lock post-lock. So from a very simple explanation, a simple occurrence is that, one of the things that people don't do enough of in MMA is build lineups that have leave salary on the table, right? A lot of people, the we always, if you examine Showdown, NFL, or any type of a very limited field, limited option contest, that 50K lineups are much more likely to be duplicated than 49.9 lineups, than 49.8 lineups. Like, it's almost like a, like a hockey curve like that. Yep. So a 49-4 lineup is way less going to be duplicated than a 49-8 lineup, but a 48-8 lineup is going to be even less duplicated. But the difference is now is that let's say me and you, like Daniel, let's say you're 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 a don't dupe me bro, right? You're building a lot of lineups with four underdogs in it, right? Your average salary in your lineups are 48-5. And in the past, before late swap. Lock would happen. You'd download the CSV. You'd see everyone's lineup and you go, okay, out of my 150, 132 are unique, right? 147 are under fives. And you got three lineups that you screwed up with. And that's, you know, they duped seven times. Well, now let's say I built 150 lineups that all spent 50,000, right? And I look at mine and all of my lineups are duped 20 plus times. In the past, it'd be like, oh, if we ran out this contest in a simulation model, it would show that you make a lot of money and I lose I lose a good amount of money because I 
I'm sharing, I'm 67 way splits and 42 way splits and you win a hundred thousand dollars here and there. And it makes up for all of the other times. Well, all your 150 lineups after the first fight, this happens. And like, well, I could just leave salary. I, I could get to your, I could take my set and have it match some of the lineups in your set. You thought were unique in the past when lock happened and you couldn't swap. Like I could get to your lineups now and it would be more evident when I do need to get to your lineup. So you're sitting there in the past before there was late swap going, wow, this lineup, right? The fight, the, the, the last fight of the night, you'd be sitting there. You're in 123rd place with the main event favorite with a unique lineup that just needs to score 68 points to win solo first. Like, because no one throughout the course of the night could get to that lineup because it's a 48-4 lineup with this weird guy and that weird guy in. Well, now you're going to be sitting there and there's going to be three other people with you because throughout the course of the night, they managed to get to that lineup because, well, they had this guy in, so they switched to that guy and then they go, well, I think a lot of people will still have this fighter, so let me leave 400 on the table there. And then, oh, this guy lost in this other fight, so let me now go down. Like, all these people that build for uniques, their lineups will be less unique because, right? You 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 get the you get the point. Them I mean, a lot of people miss that point of, of like, having unique lineups is going to be much tougher now because you can make the you the people that are even simulating could could you could predict how unique they are with the current ownership as the fights go on. Yeah, I think just imagine. Just imagine you're at a point in a big GPP where it's clear you're going to need four particular fighters. So the the winner of the TV, it, it's basically a bunch of 2v2s. So if there's only six fighters left, um, that's at most 15 combos. And imagine you're looking through the CSV and you discover there are 300 people in this spot who can make who have, you know, two holes in their lineup. You can quickly figure out, it's relatively easy to figure out the relative probabilities of all these things and act accordingly, right? So yeah, you would you would expect that over time, the, the more people that are taking advantage of late swap, the flatter the distribution of final lineups is gonna be. That is, the, the more, the more, um, Similar, the ownerships will be between lineups. So there'll be fewer uniques and probably fewer. And because there's fewer total uniques, that means there should be fewer um, massive dupes as well because um, people will be able to get off of those. Um, so yeah, I think that's right. I think you would expect far fewer solo winners over time in the big biggest of GPPs. Um, you can even imagine a situation where um, somebody manages to maneuver themselves into a situation where they're guaranteed to get one of the winning lineups because they got enough of the combos to fill them all out. Um, right. Well, that's what that's what I was going to mention before. My, if I were to play one fifty, I was I, I was fooling around with with Excel yesterday. To see uh, how I would do this, uh, to I don't know what it would be called, but a because someone mentioned in chat it's it's similar to this concept, but not exactly this concept about 
Like, what would with 150 lineups, don't you shift to a fairly even distribution of fighters the first few fights, then rebuild as you gain more info? And I don't think it's that uh linear as linear as that, but like in my model, like I I predict like who is overowned. I, I play an exploitative strategy. So, like to me, I view uh the prop I view like the the diversification element to be the difficult part mm-hmm. of MMA where it's like well MMA is high variance so any fight even the even even the biggest underdog wins probably even more than their their ownership so to have none is weird in 150 lineups yeah but uh there there are guys that are over that I view as Oh, they're under-owned, so I'm going to have more of them. Uh, the problem comes in is that how do I play? How do I have more of those fighters, and then pre-lock still have enough of a distribution to cover, like you said, as many of the good com- good combos as possible? Well, yeah. with late swap now, that I don't have to worry about that at lock. I could instead, like for instance. In lineup HQ, we have a, 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 a the uniqueness factor factor, right? Unique players one, unique players two, unique players three. That gives you diversification. And every lineup with unique players three has to be a three v three of any other lineup in your set, right? Now in MMA, if you do unique players three and you're building 150, like you're gonna get some weird distributions because, especially a, a 12 fight card. Like it's not even gonna it's it's gonna break before you even get to three hundred, right? Because it can't even have a three v three off of any of the other lineups. So like, if I see that okay, I want to make sure that I have a lot of these three fighters, three fighter A, fighter B, fighter C, because I believe they're heavily underowned. The problem is, is that everyone else is kind of efficiently owned or something, and it's like, what's the distribution I should have to the the other three fighters in those lineups to make this an example that I have. A lot of these three ABC in a six-player lineup, but D, E, and F. What what combinations of those? Now pre-lock before late swap, I'd have to go. Well, let me give you give the best distribution I can. Well, in this scenario, I can set unique players to one and make all those line. I can make I can make seventy-five lineups or whatever. I would it, it, with the two v twos. I mean, I could make this. I could make a train. I mean, there's no, there's no reason. There's literally no reason for me to not make a train of the same seventy-five lineups, and then go. Well, at fight four, I'll know this, and then I'll take those seventy-five lineups, and then now I'll get more diversity right there. And then after the sixth fight, I'll know another thing, and then so I, I don't even have to worry about that. That like how to find the right combo. I'm not stuck in the situation where. I got the right three fighters and I'm like, Oh, and I have 10 of these lineups and seven have this guy in and three have that guy in, but none have this guy. in. And it's like, I would love to be able to have every single other fighter in those 10 lineups, but I can't do it because there's no late swap. And someone else has that lineup and it's unique and it's only duped twice. And I'm sitting there going, I'd love to swap off so I could have, eight of these combinations rather than like two or three of them. That's, that's what we're talking about when it comes to why there will be less uniques. And if you were to build, I call it the pyramidal kind of thing. Right. Like you yeah. start from one like point and go, 
what do I believe the optimal lineup is going to look like and who's more likely to be in it? I want more of those guys in the lineup and then save the the distribution, save those choices and do them as the fights go on rather than beforehand and trying to solve the how much distribution you should have. Like, like to me, from a directional standpoint, without having simulations is the way that I would solve it. And then as the fights go on, just go, okay, what do I got to do here? What I got, what I, what, what do I have to do there? How could I, the, the lineups with 6% on Trezano, like last week, I'd be like, okay, let me segment these out. These are going to be optimal lineups possibility. Anything that doesn't have Trezano, I'm playing for min cash. I'm playing for min cash equity. I can't win with, with a $7,100, 123-pointer. Uh, and now I'm looking at those lineups going, who's the next fight? Well, it's fighter X versus fighter Y. It's like, well, I already, I currently have fighter X. I, because I had like 18 lineups with Trezano in it. So I'm like, I have eight with this and four with that. And what I'm it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, de- I don't want eight with this next fighter. I'm going to now switch it off. So I have one, 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 and start kind of like doing that pyramid of like, how many combinations can I make with these lineups? So it improves my shot at getting the optimal rather than going like all in on like, well, the next two fighters, like I'm just going to play all of the next fight. Like you don't have to do that. You could start now figuring that out as you go. And guys like you, if you were to take on that task, would be able to fig- solve that problem much easier and more accurately than me kind of doing it more directionally and by eyesight. Yeah. I also think it should we should address one of the comments uh, about, which is a thought I had too, which is, so we already established that having more choices gives more of an edge to whoever makes those choices better, right? And I'm including, I'm including in these choices the choice to not late swap, right? So given given that having more choices is good, it makes me think that the earliest fights should be slightly discounted because every time you take an early fighter. Uh, that lineup has fewer choices to make down the line. Um, and I think that that makes sense intuitively, but I have no idea what the magnitude of that is. Um, my suspicion is that in the largest GPPs, it probably matters very little because you're shooting for the optimal. And and if the optimal is an early fighter, you need that guy, right? My guess is that it you get more of a discount in projection, so to speak, and small field stuff because the value of each decision on average is going to be much larger so that, but I I have no idea how to figure out (laughs) how big that that, should be. No, but that makes it, well, you would try to figure that out to a precise level. I would figure out. I I don't even know if I know how to do that. (laughs) Right. But it's, but what you're describing is very similar to NFL. So like NFL, we get like pretty much two lock times. So in my, when I play, like cash games or small field GPPs. Yeah. Like let's say I'm playing a one-off wide receiver in my cash lineup or something. And I could choose between two guys that are pretty much projected the same. I typically will choose the 4 PM guy rather than the 1 PM guy, because if they project about the same, I'd rather have more information because at 4 PM, I may know that I'm way behind 
And even the guy that that guy is going to be too chalky that I need to now swap my defense and do something else rather than be locked into a guy early or vice versa. Vice versa could be like, well, now that I know that my 16% owned guy that was cash viable, but this construction wasn't used as much. I'm now 23 points above the train, you know, like the very popular cash train. And that cash train has that exact wide receiver that I'm playing. It's like, well, great. Leave him in and block. I mean, you get more information that way. So to me, I view the earlier fighters. I think, I think people are going to, Daniel, there. The, the point that you made earlier about there are two games that you're playing is maybe the most important thing. The, literally the most important thing to, from a macro level of once the fights start, there are every fight goes by, you're playing a different game. Think of it as a completely new slate. So people are thinking of the first scenario of I'm going to play 50, I'm going to play 100 lineups or I'm going to play whatever. I'm going to play two lineups. And I'm going to play fighter A in the first fight and fighter B in the first fight. And if they put up a big score, now we know that that guy is most likely, or woman, is most likely going to be optimal. And I and I got it. And now I know that the people that don't have this fighter, so I have one lineup that is close to the optimal and one lineup that's obviously dead. So now you have, now you're playing two different games. In this lineup that has the, you know, 120 point underdog, how do I make the optimal? This one that has the five point favorite that got knocked out. How do I get to min? How do I get min cash equity? Like right. that's what we're talking about here. But as the slate goes on, you get more and more information. So when, if, for instance, let's say I have two lineups, and I'm I'm, keep, I'm keeping it very simple instead of having this like MME 150. So let's say I have two lineups and I have neither of the first fight. Okay. So now let's think of all the different possibilities. So let's think of the possibility that people bring up. The the big underdog, the underdog destroys 120 points. And now I'm sitting there with two lineups that have neither. Well, I have the same amount of information that you have now. I'm now playing the the game that you're playing with your losing fighter lineup. I'm playing min cash. I know I can't win. I do not have that lineup. It's so unlikely that that 123 point underdog is is not going to be optimal. Like you'd say, well, six fighters can beat that. Like, yeah, I guess so, but good luck. Uh, so now I know what game I'm playing. So now my lineups, I look at, and I go, what do I care about being, you know, why am I playing a 3% own big dog? Like, dude, I just want to get five winners. Can I get five winners? Can I get four good winners? I get the same amount of information, even though you have a lineup that is more likely to be optimal. Yes, win equity, but you also have a lineup that has zero points that is way behind my two lineups that have nothing there. So, like, I now have two lineups beating you at this second game. I can't beat you at the first game. Now, let's say the scenario is that the first fight happens, and it's a dud. It's a stand-up. The winner gets 62 points. The loser gets 30 points. And it's like, yeah, most likely, uh, yeah, you probably probably ain't going to be winning with that. All of a sudden, my two lineups that I have is playing for first place. Both of your lineups are now not playing for first place at all. Now you both your lineups are playing for min cash equity. So to think in terms of like, what do you do in earlier fights versus later fights? I think it still comes down to the, the more information you have, the more consequential your late swap decisions are. So yes. if you were to if you were to implement that in your projections or whatever, 
I there would be some type of penalty for earlier fighters versus later fight. Like it's so much more valuable now to have a main event fighter or a co-main event fighter because now it gives you late swap options in the time that it impacts you the most than it does having fighters from the from the first fight. Right. That that all sounds good to me. And I think the other thing I'm pretty confident in is that the discount should be greater in the smaller contests. So um, I don't know what the numbers are, but it seems obvious that because in the GPP, you have to get optimal, um, it hurts more when you don't get a high scoring early fighter. Um, it costs you right, more. But I, mean, I just want to mention in the, in right. the, in the 555, I think the other night, I don't think Trezano was even in the winning lineup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I actually made money on that slate too and did not uh, because I had more of that fighter than the field, I think. And I think I placed pretty high in a medium field thing with a losing fighter as well. Got like fourth or something. Um, yeah, but I think... Um, I think it's it's all very interesting i think another you know you should we should bring up the i think i don't remember if you raised it or somebody else did but um somewhat overblown but not entirely without merit issue of collusion um oh yeah i i brought it up that like yeah like you you said you said that you said on this show i don't know if i could stick around on 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 saturdays to to swap all these things and like what, what stops me and you from saying, Hey, Daniel, you set up the system yeah. and then you go out and have fun with your family and do whatever the hell you want when the card starts. And I'll play hundred, I'll play lineups also. And, and I'll run your system and I'll run your system and swap all our 300 lineups out or whatever amount of lineups yeah. that we have out. So, so you get to, you get the reward for that, for doing what you do. And then you have, a proxy, you're just, you know, all you need is an intern of like someone that's willing to press a button and export CSVs and then you go off. And now, obviously, if you have an actual intern to do that, like that's perfectly fine to do. I mean, like there are plenty of people that play on an account with multiple people that that, that, that is not against yeah. the terms of service. Sure. But it's whether or not someone that is also participating in the contest and says, yeah, like, hey, you're good at making a system like that especially in a in MMA where there may only be so many combos it's like well if we had 450 lineups and you run your stuff like we'll probably make the optimal like practically like 90% of the time yeah based on I this think, and there you go yeah so i've said before that i think the the only places in the past i've really been worried about people colluding is the very smallest contests like six mans and less because um even without blocking just knowing knowing what one other lineup is in such a tiny field it's like you have a sneak peek at the ownership in a way so you can be you know not being correlated with one other player in a six man is a large advantage right so i don't have any evidence that this has happened to me in any of the contests i play i do play some of the smaller stuff been experimenting with it in in baseball and um but i wouldn't be shocked if it happens and but my what i used to say is i, I really wasn't worried about this for gpps just because 
the amount of combinations that could be picked, it just seems like a rare scenario where someone could really get a huge leg up by colluding. However, I'm afraid that you could easily imagine a scenario in MMA. Just imagine there's two people tied for first in a big GPP who know each other. Um, there's They have one spot left. Um, and um, there's one player directly behind them. It would be very easy for them to say, you take fighter A and I take fighter B. And then we're guaranteed to block that third guy. Whereas before, if we didn't talk, there is a chance that the two of us made the same decision and the third guy could beat us by by going the other way. Now that that possibility is gone and we've basically robbed him of his, his first place equity by colluding. And I think because the combination of it being a binary sport with tiny number of options, that actually does concern me a little bit. Um, where I previously, I would have been like, you know, collusion the idea of collusion in a big GPP is overblown. It's, you know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal because the advantage of knowing an extra few hundred lineups in a gigantic GPP just isn't that big of a deal. But with late swap and MMA specifically, I think it actually could be a big deal, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But what is you it, think is about it a that. good thing? It, 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 is it a good thing now that you're saying, "Hey, I could probably beat this game. I could. You could build your your supercomputer to do everything," as I joke about, and you don't even want to do and like and you're concerned about certain things that would reduce your edge. You're concerned that the time involved, that your time is worth more than this increased edge. Even if you it's, it, you have an increased edge, but it's like, well, Saturdays, Saturday nights are, are high value time with in your life. And yeah. it's not worth it. That it's very similar to like, like me and NBA. I don't play NBA DFS as often as I did in the past because on certain nights, I'm just like, like either I have to be all in and do this from seven to 11 or I'm all out. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my wife through or, 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 or we have plans or something like, like I'm either playing or I'm not, or I look at a slate and it'd be like, it's a 10 game slate. The, the start times are such that there's only like one late game. So like a lot of stuff will be done by like eight or eight 30 Eastern, I'd be like, okay, I, I can play this slate because at least then at like eight thirty, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much done. This is one late game, but most likely there's, there's nothing that I need to really do that much. Like maybe there's going to be plenty of people like you that goes, well, now I'm not going to, I'm not going to play because it, it is primarily due to the fact that you know how much edge it is. And if, you're going to be exploited by other people doing it. Like it's, it's almost not even worth it for you to play with your original edge. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I feel very similarly about NBA as you know, I play very little full slate NBA. Um, partly because I don't think I'm that great at it. I think I'm okay, but, but uh, yeah, I just, it's not just, it, it isn't only the time and scheduling. It's, it's also, if I'm going to do it, like I need to decide in advance that I'm doing it. And often, often I don't know whether I want to be doing something Saturday night or not until relatively later. And I don't want to have basically locked out the possibility of 
seeing my friends or going to a movie or whatever it is that other people want to do, you know, because I decided four hours ago I was going to play this, you know, this slate. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a question of time for me. So I, I'd love to get into it on those days that I do have the time. I just don't know when those days are going to be. Um, but building that solution, building, I mean, solving this problem, I think it's a complex problem, but can still be solved better than others. Like some people are making yes. out that this is a much harder problem than you think. Oh, but I think I, it's I, still easy enough that you would get a significant edge even in just pure estimation. Yeah. So I want to expand on that. This is a really important point. So a lot of people I talk to who know the kinds of things I'm up to sort of use the word solve a little bit too much. So even if you're using a, an approach in the neighborhood of mine, there's still a lot of approximation that has to go on. Like the projection sources and your simulations are best guesses, right? They're, they're hopefully unbiased and close to correct, but they're never going to be perfect. And there's things like that all up and down the whole thing. So with that said, I, I make the analogy from poker. There are certain poker games for which we do not have anywhere close to solved, have solved the game in quotes. And nevertheless, the computer is just so much better than humans that it doesn't matter. Um, so you can still study and train with these things that we know are very far from perfect. They're still way better than people. And I think something like that could be the case here where even if you get to use your term directionally accurate with your simulations or your resolves or whatever you want to call it that happened throughout the slate, that's probably going to still give you a significant edge, even if it's pretty far from perfect. So just, <coughs> excuse me, thinking about, about uh, the first thing I would try for MMA, and I'm not going to give all the details here. Um, I know for a fact it has one huge limitation, but uh, I think it would still crush uh, relative to people not doing anything like it. Um, and that's knowing exactly where it falls down. So I think it's going to be a continuum. I think uh, what will be really interesting for me to see is sharp people like you who are not running their own sims, like what kind of an edge is available because you're going to be caught between the sim bros and the um, the toilet lineup people. Uh, make a lineup on the toilet and uh, only only swap when uh, when a fighter is scratched, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what can be done there. Again, my suspicion is that in the largest of GPPs, uh, the difference between doing something reasonably well and doing it more sim-based is actually going to be smaller, which is a little counterintuitive because it sounds like it's a bigger data problem. It's much harder to solve precisely. But I think um, I think it'll be pretty obvious how to get closer to doing the right thing, especially with the, with the min-cache lineups. Like the lineups that used to be hopeless, but now you have a shot with late swap. Um, but anyway, I, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm just guessing. 
I think the, the, the thing I really have no idea is like how much are the field sizes going to change after this? Because I think the people who have one to five lineups, probably it's not going to change that much. Um, the people in the middle and the people who, who put in 150 could change a lot. Um, I know I, I probably going to, my volume is going to be drastically less. Um, and it's, it's going to come down to like which days I can play. It's not even the amount I play. Like, like the amount I play on any given slate probably goes up, but the number of slates I play goes down. So I, I don't know how that all washes out for DraftKings and the ecosystem. No clue. Well, I, I plan, I plan on just playing more single entry three max than yeah. large field because number one, I think the edge is bit we, we've described yeah. the edge is bigger in small field. Yeah. And number two, I don't have an autom I, I I'm not gonna be able to build yeah. a, a good enough automated process for me to do these swaps as it is. Right. So why bother? I could still I mean I could make 50 liners for a large field. It just now all that means now is that uh, essentially I've I'm saying that. I no longer enjoy watching the fights because I'll just be at the yeah. computer swapping 50 lineups, like waiting for the next fight to go and then going, okay, let me rerun ownership. Let me rerun this. Let me, yeah. what other lineups, even if I'm just eyeballing it, it'll take me another 20 minutes just to swap. And then by that time, the next fight, and I got, it just becomes, okay, 14 fights are done. And like, yeah. it felt like I had an, I spent an entire, like a work day. I'm just at the computer. Because it's not even like NBA. It's not like NBA, which like I could probably leave everything alone, unless something major happens here or there. I could swap some of these low level lineups, the snowflake lineups, to try to get a min cash more. These to try to win more. But stuff is going on so much that there's no discernible time frames of anything here. There's like literally every twenty minutes. It's like this, 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 this. Like I'm, I can't sit in front of my my couch and watch anything and have it be enjoyable. So to get the extra edge in large field, it's like, dude, I could, I, I believe I could eyeball it and swap on the couch on my phone with yeah. six to eight single entry three max type lineups. That I'm fine, and most likely, sure. what I what a lot of times, Daniel, what I do is that I may play six lineups, but I'll play them in multiple contests. So, so I'll play the $100 single entry, but I also have it in the $40 single entry because I'm like evening it out. So the volume on each lineup is about equal. So if I have a 555 lineup, it won't be in anything else. But the $100 yeah. lineup may be in others. And then I could just swap. I could I could now bracket off and go, well, in the $100 single entry, I'll move to this guy, but in the, I'll split this lineup. So the $40 one has someone else. And uh -huh. you can still do that kind of pyramidal type of type of process even with lineups that you have and then let's say i also have it in a large field contest and a large field contest i'm like okay i'm gonna split this one off to, and make it look like if these two fighters are in the optimal what would this optimal look like and leave it at that because i'm playing for the the optimal in that contest and like you end up getting around to the same point and the same type of work that you'd be doing but you, at least you're dealing with less lineups and you could possibly sit on the couch and do it reasonably well enough yeah. that you don't have to run back to your computer all the time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I feel bad for a lot of people with this change. Like, 
anybody who like likes the puzzle of DFS but doesn't want to stay around for every fight is one. But another is people like you who like both the MMA sport itself and also DFS. Like right. this sucks. Like how are you going to enjoy the sweat anymore? Like you kind of you can't. Maybe at the very end. Um, well, it's it's not it's it's more of that. There's be a lot more anxiety because it's not a matter of okay, everything locks at six or whatever. We get all the yeah. ownership. I'm going. Wow, this guy's way higher on than I thought, and this guy's way low. And I look. Oh, did I make the right decisions? I could. I could. Before the first fight even started, I could evaluate whether or not I did well. Yeah. Right. And then and then all at that point, all I'm doing is just sitting down, going, "Let's see how this plays out." Yes, I mean, right, and let's see where I am in the contest, and and people will argue and be like, "Well, this the, this nine K guy scored 108." Like, but if this guy scores more than him, he won't be in the optimal. And then you have to kind of like say, "Well, the chance is most likely going to be because now you're going to keep track of how the slate's going. You, you're not going to have any of those conversations anymore because you're going to be too busy yeah. looking, going. Well, the next fight locks at 5:45. I it's now 5:38. I have seven minutes." Right, but that fight doesn't even start for another fifteen minutes because the lock times are slightly less. And then yeah. by the time you get to the end, from the looks of it, these lock times, as you go through the card, these fights may lock like two fights before it even happens. Yeah, like the last, like the main event may actually lock before like the third to last fight even starts. Like the first fight, like the second fight will lock. Like what they'll have, what what it looks like on the times is that, let's say there's a 4 p.m. start time, the first fight will lock at 4 p.m. But it won't start until 4:10, yeah. right? And then they have a 20 minute interval, so 4:20 the next fight locks, but it won't start till 4:35, and then the next fight locks at 4:40, but it won't start till 5:05, and then by the time you get to like the 10th fight, like the 10th fight, the 11th fight locks before the eighth fight even started. And the main event locks four fights before it's like they say in the description that they 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 have to reserve the right to bump up stuff. But dude, how do you so, plan? I mean, like, dude, imagine doing like, like running simulations and doing like, dude, you're not even sure when the things are gonna lock. Sometimes I know. I mean, the more the more I think about it, I may just pass up on it altogether. It just the it's just the pain in the ass factor is gonna be through the roof. I think. Uh, I think set it and set it and forget it is greatly underrated. Like <laughs> I, I really like knowing I'm going to do this for an hour before lock and be done with it. And then I can do whatever I want. I can sweat it or not. I can. The, the argument I made, I talked to, I talked to my, my VIP host. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. I need to send him a mail. Right. Uh, they reached out to me because I tweeted about it. Uh -huh. uh, the two things that I said is one, the better solution to this, the better solution, this is the one that I, I suggested when they sent out the survey. I filled it out. Yeah. Said, you want to avoid automatic zeros. I get it. People don't like it. But you also want to make it so that you don't have to late. But they also want to, I also know that they don't, they want to make it so they don't have to recode stuff. So when they say, well, only unlock the, the fighters that are like, what, what are that are, that are canceled versus this and the start time, like, they, they don't change their code. Like, unless they have a compelling reason, they don't want to do that. To read code how a contest works. I suggested that why don't, depending on the salary, you make your choice. If 
if a fight gets canceled after lock, the favorite gets 70 and the underdog gets 30. Hmm. It's like the favorite gets enough points where it doesn't screw you at all, but most likely won't be in the winning lineup. So it's like you you can't win first place pretty much. But if you get seven, it's like, okay, you, you increase your min cash equity either side. And it's like, and if you want to do that in relation to salary, make a multiplier times six or something, a 9K fighter gets 82 points instead of 76 or whatever it is, that that's what you do. And then you still make it no late swap. So now you don't have people pissed that they got a zero. I'm like, I think that's a better solution. And then number two, my counterpoint to them doing it in MMA is that if you're doing this in MMA, why don't you do it in, in, in the sport that is like five times more liquidity or 10 times more liquidity in PGA? Like, dude, there are withdrawals after lock in PGA like like 10 times more than MMA. This happens yes. in MMA like two or three times a year. And I don't see them making tea time. This guy this guy locks at 6 o'clock. This guy locks at 6.10. This guy locks at 6.20. It's like, what makes MMA any different than golf when some 12% owned fighter, when Hideki Matsuyama at 22% owned, decides three holes in that he's going to withdraw with a back injury. Like, they get just as many complaints for that because it's the similar type of thing, but they don't... Seems like, no, we'll never... Because they they probably look at that and go, dude, we have to have, like, 800 lock times then? For every every time? I dread that they might do something to golf because, on a purely selfish note, it's just the amount of volume I put in is much, much greater in golf than it is in MMA just because there's so many more contests and golf is big. Like I, I had an idea for MMA. Another solution would be um, if your fighter is canceled, if your fight is canceled, then the favorite gets the lowest, the lowest winning score on the slate minus one. Right. Well, that, that's a loser, similar, similar idea. Was, the loser right. gets the worst, lo- the worst score, right? Whatever that is, which is going to be close to Neil zero. in chat says, haven't they changed lock times in the past when an MLB game was postponed so that people could take players out? Why not just set every fighter's lock time to the, at the first fight, adjust to late if canceled? Well, first off, they can't lock the fighters. When, when, remember, when stuff gets locked, you get to see the ownership. Yeah. So you never want to make it that a fight gets locked and then unlocked and then people could change. And we already saw ownership, which let me just, let me just tell you, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens on Saturday. Yeah. I won't be around. It happened in USFL, right? Didn't, didn't USFL. Yes. They had a giant debacle where everybody saw the entire ownership uh, at, at lock. Oops. And then it turned out it changed very, it changed very little, uh, which was, which I think, is what I also read that even after this was revealed and people could swap, like the, that final ownership was pretty similar to the original. <laughs> uh, people didn't make many changes, I guess. Um, but how many, how many more conspiracy? Like I know they're doing this because the dumb casual people don't want zeros in their lineup. The two times a year, this may happen. And I get cater. Yes. Okay. I, well, I don't want that either. I get it. Yeah, but it's well, as likely to happen to me as it is to anyone else, and we're long-term right. thinkers, whatever. But how many more? How many more situations are they going to be where people complain that maybe they, you know, how many that that it's rigged, bots, 
what this 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 lineup wasn't anywhere near this and then this happened and this the, uh, you mentioned the collusion part right what happens if what let, let me let me just figure out i don't i'm not sure i'm uh i don't i'm not sure if papa gates plays mma i know chipotle does every so often but imagine imagine the first time that that papa gates and chipotle are one two with one fighter off and win first place yeah. and then everything goes off of oh they obviously have 300 lineups and they're doing this like like even if they're not doing it, like yeah, there'll be so many I've, more complaints on that. I've had people accuse me of such things in other sports. Imagine it's uh, imagine it's going to be times a thousand for MMA because how do they conf- what what are they what are they accusing? People people think everyone's colluding uh, against them. Uh, or that you're but, running all this stuff in the year and five other sharp players are playing with you and yeah, yeah. right, right. Um. So I mean, uh, another question, like another uh, that I forgot to ask is that I know you're big into like you don't like doing the late swap because it's you can't like back test it. That's one of the reasons. How like it's, would you back test? Would, would you would you try back testing this by taking a snapshot at every time you late swap, and then back test like like I know I you. Think, it's like this feels like a problem that you, you would do and hope that it's correct and not be able to really tell. By going back, like, oh, let me replay these thirty slates, and let me make different lates every different late swap decision, and see which ways that it would have came out. Like to me, I almost feel like that's a hard, that's almost a harder problem to solve. It is, and I honestly, yeah, I, I think I wouldn't do it at all because it would be both more difficult and significantly less precise than what I do now. Um, so I probably wouldn't even bother. I think uh, because you can't backtest it in the same way because your opponents would, especially in a small field, like like so. Imagine you want to backtest your swaps, right? In a ten man, say, well, what would have happened if I made a different swap? What would my EV have been? And then um, you can't do that because your opponents would likely make different choices based on what your choices were. So you can't make any assumptions that your opponents would just do exactly what they did. That doesn't make any sense. So, And because that aspect is so critical, is going to be so critical, especially in in smaller field, uh, I just I don't see how you do it. I think yeah, I have other things I would probably look at, but I don't think literal backtesting of the whole process would be even possible for that reason. I think there's a way to backtest. I'm, 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 I'm just giving you a preview of what I'm going to attempt to do uh, for the small field stuff. Because I'm focusing more on the small field stuff. I want to see if I could, if I could come up with predictive metrics for a user's likelihood of swapping. Uh-huh, yeah. So I, I'm going to be taking this next, the C, basically the 555 or the $100 single entry, whatever. I'm going to take a contest. I'm going to download the CSV. I'm going to do this for the next whatever, 10, 20. I mean, keep putting the data set together. And then based on like, what they obviously play, like obviously like there are certain users that I know play a certain way 
and I go, did they, what, what did this lineup look like at the end? Cause I don't know what it looked like at the, at the beginning, but like, what yes. did it look like at the end? And in comparison to previous slates, like I know a lot, like for instance, there are plenty of people that in the hundred dollar single entry, just throw in their cash lineup. Sure. Yep. I know some of is these that, people is, too. <laughs> If I see at the end that their lineup looks nothing like a cash lineup, I know that they're swapping. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, so I, I think that's, I want to yeah. be able to be able to tell because the, to me, the biggest, the biggest edge, like for instance, let's use the extreme example, Daniel, if I'm playing the 555, 300 entries, I have one entry. It doesn't matter how many entries. If I knew for sure that all 299 of my other other entries would never swap, and I have the ability to late swap, that's a humongous edge. Yes. Right. So knowing if if I knew that only 10% of my opponents were late swapping, and I'm always late swapping, I still have a much bigger... If I knew that everyone was late swapping... My ability to lay swap isn't as big of an edge because now I have to predict what other people are going to do when they swap. But if I knew, based on the usernames, who's more likely to swap, who's more likely to pay attention, it's not even like what they're going to do. Like I don't, I'm not even trying to measure what they're going to do. I'm just trying to measure if they're even going to pay attention to do anything so then I can make better decisions later in a card and go, well, based on my past data... uh user a user b user c which i'm competing with a and b i have their 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 awareness percentage at like seven percent meaning that most likely they whatever lineup is there at lock that that's what they have that's it yep. and they're they're more likely to spend most most of their salary so it's mm -hmm. like now i could better predict their lineup even with like two fighters left in their lineup because it's like well that's probably going to be close to 50k and it's and it's also probably going to be leveraged for this contest because they're a decent player that they're not playing like two big dogs together or something like that. And then there's this other players like in, in user C, I have their awareness metric at like 90%. So it's like, this is the type of person where they're going to be looking at what I'm doing also. Like, so now I have to think like, they're going to see that I'm swapping here and there. So they're going to try to jump me. But these two people over here, I could just basically fill out their lineups right now and go, well, that's what they're playing and whatever. Like, like we mentioned before in large field contests, imagine trying to do that. Right. She, like, she and, and the differences yeah. and, and, oh, well, I do five here and seven there. You're not jumping that many places, but in a 555 where I could, where knowing that two of my opponents that have X and Y left and I'm sitting in 17th place and they're sitting in ninth and 10th. And I'm like, because I know this, I have a much better shot at getting eighth place, maybe mm -hmm. not first. Like that could be the difference of like two hundred dollars and twelve fifty or fifteen hundred yep. bucks. Well, and yeah, I, I mean, would like I would like to know that. Yeah, and I think you you've hit on you've hit on uh, what what I would actually try to do in terms of backtesting. What I would look at specifically is I would look at the sequence of okay here's what the field looked like after the first fight you know mm -hmm. basically have the csv for each step and then i would try and figure out um for each player how often do i think they they swapped they made correct swap or non-swap decisions right based on my own methodology like 
how many players do I believe are making sharp moves and how many are not? Like that I could backtest. I mean, of course, that assumes my own stuff is actually good, which would probably take some doing. But I, I think it's it's much easier to have intuition about the small field. I think it's still early, so I don't pretend to have any of this figured out yet, but I think it's much trickier in large field to really to really figure out what's going on because it's just such a messy messy problem but people um, will solve it yeah or, i think we'll figure it out it. right that they, they, right the, 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 the lastly the question really comes into how many people will try to figure it out yeah. how many people will successfully execute it so they can and then how many people that aren't doing that decide not to play because they see that other people are that other people are doing so right yeah and i think you know having lots of lots of um lots more strategic decisions to make um always helps you even if it's messy like even if you're not confident that all of your decisions are good the more of them you have the more like like let's say i I think 60% of the time I'm making plus EV decisions in my swaps and 40% I'm not. Well, if you have a whole bunch of late swap opportunities, you know, it's much more plus EV for you because each time you do it, you're 60, 40 to improve your EV or whatever. I'm just making up numbers. Right. And in MMA, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of options to make these kind of decisions. So even if, you're only directionally accurate, or even if some of your decisions are wrong, as long as enough of them are right, it's still going to be an edge. Like you're not going to have to be perfect at this for it to be worth trying to figure out. So I think if you're like a player like you, who's um, highly DK savvy, I mean, uh, fantasy savvy, but not running Sims, I think there's probably a lot of room to get a lot of edge even if you're not trying to do stuff the way that I'm trying to do it. Um, right. and, and and we'll discuss more like on, on, I do MMAs on this show on Fridays and maybe there'll be situations where like, Oh, this chalky guy is in the second fight. So let's talk about what do you do if you've faded or not? Like there'll be more discussions like that on the MMA ground and bound podcast here on, sure. on, uh, on for premium members. But uh, Daniel, people could find you on Twitter to uh to to set up collusion partnerships with you <laughs> yeah uh, no one's ever count. approached me for that but yeah right <laughs> for what it's worth uh no one's ever asked me to do anything shady for them so i think that's a good sign um uh, yep, I'm well, I mean, thanks, thanks for coming on and and, sure. and talking about it yeah no it's fun i think it's really interesting um i'm a little bummed i won't get to play as much but uh i will eagerly await uh the uh post-mortem after this weekend really curious to see what happens because right, a one sample one one slate sample size will mean that's what it is for everything exactly right yeah we know everything yep okay so uh give me those thummy thumbs on your way out the door hit the thumbs up button uh hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell we'll post this in the uh the mma section on the road grinders website we'll label it you know like mma late swap something whatever so it's like pin so even three months from now, you could kind of see like, oh, I, I haven't played late swap MMA. What is, what does it matter so much? Well, this is why it matters. So uh, I'll, I'll see you guys tomorrow. We'll go, we'll go for some World Cup soccer stuff tomorrow. That's coming up. 
and uh, and follow follow Daniel. Daniel's all probably going to be in the chat tomorrow anyway. Uh, <laughs> listening to uh, to me answer your DFS strategy questions like I always do, like I try to do. Here on the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.